What the hell's the name of this thing? The Ballsy Podcast. Hosted by the award-winning Evan Grant. This is my baby, and these two were just along riding my carpet, my carpet tail. Kevin Sherrington. I did not choose the dance life. It chose me. Barry Horn. You know what my intention is? When's the last time that anybody has ever asked you a question? No one's ever asked me a question. I'm married. Get ready for the most listened to sports podcast in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Evan Grant, and this is Balls. I'm Kevin Sherrington, and in this episode, we're going to talk about the Cowboys. And I'm Barry Horn. To hear our other exciting additions, simply subscribe to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. You know we're on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search Ballsy Podcast. That's Ballsy with a Z. So sit back, relax, that's relax with an X, and enjoy another edition of the Cowboys Ballsy with a Z Podcast. Welcome, everybody, into the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News podcast officially named ballsy it's a great name we love it uh i am kevin sherrington we are missing our good friend barry horn today he is still out sick uh it's nothing serious don't worry he'll be okay um but you'll you won't have to hear his dulcet tones today evan grant is in san diego so it's just me and tommy noel in the here in the studio and but we have on the phone our good friend out there at in Frisco, used to be Valley Ranch, David Moore. David, how are you? I'm doing well, but may I question you on something you just said? What was that? That you were missing Barry Horn, and then I believe you mentioned dulcet tones. <laughs> I don't believe any of that goes together. No, maybe maybe uh, whining, shrieking, <laughs> Barry Horn. Shrill. Shrill, Shrill I like that. Shrill does come to mind, doesn't it? Especially when he says, no. <laughs> he loves to say that. He's like Mr. Bill. He's kind of like the, the sports day's Mr. Bill. Yeah, that, that's a that's a it's a sad thing here when we can't get all my pals here. You know, all the people that uh, that uh, started the the podcast, and then now everybody's just you know they just give up. They just give it they up. They don't on care life. about it anymore. It's like oh, if they can fit it in, sure. Yeah, they just kind of commitment. Of course, Great the commitment. the thing is, it's kind of like they've given up on life anyway, so it's okay. <laughs> Well, yeah, it shows in other facets of their life. Yeah. Well, not just, yeah. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. All right, so we have out in uh, at the at the Star in Frisco uh, coming up this weekend. We've got rookie mini camp, uh, and and we've got stuff going on right now. See, this is the kind of stuff I never understand, David. What in the heck is going on out there now? Who's eligible to be out there? Who can come? Who isn't out there? What's the deal? Well, most of the this is like the second phase of their off season program, which now. Uh, coaches are allowed to kind of direct a few things, limited drills on the field, whereas they had no contact with them before. Uh, but you're still not doing anything. You won't do anything in pads during the off offseason. Uh, this is just glorified, kind of lining up, you know, running some stats, throwing the ball, that sort of thing. You're really not working offense against defense. You're just working on the air and kind of going through drills. And, uh the, my understanding is, as it has been in, in recent years, that the that the participation is outstanding. It's not mandatory at this stage, but uh, the, the best teams police themselves, and uh, the players kind of get on each other to get uh, the attendance out there. Uh, all the ones, all the key players have said that has been good. Uh, then later this week, you will have the uh, rookie mini camp, which is a little bit unusual in, in most. Most of the time over the last eight to ten years, the rookie minicamp has come the week after uh, the draft. 
this year because of the scheduling of some of the players, they couldn't do it. And so you're actually taking a, a two-week break since the draft before these guys get out there. But uh, this rookie class will get its first taste of, of what uh, this coaching staff expects of them and, and how they run practices starting this Friday. It'll be Friday, Saturday, and Sunday will be the rookies. And then in two weeks, you will actually start your uh, organized team activities where you can have uh, full drills out on the field uh, leading up to a, a mini camp before they take a break for training camp. And that's everybody in o- at OTAs, right? Yes, that'll be everybody at the OTAs, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, David, are you going to be able to, to watch these guys this weekend? Uh, yeah, mini camp, uh, the rookie mini camp, we'll get to see them on Friday and Saturday. Sunday will be closed, but they'll be primarily meetings and just going through things that they uh, want all of the rookies to work on leading up to the OTAs coming up. And uh, so we'll get to see that. And then once uh, the organized team activities, the OTAs begin in two weeks, those over those are over like a three-day period each week. Uh, we're allowed access on one day to watch the practices one day. What are you looking forward to seeing or checking out this weekend at the Rookie Minicamp? Well, I mean, you again, and it's hard to tell a whole lot, especially on the linemen. Um, you know, you want to see Taco Charlton and see how he moves, but they're not. You're not going to get much of a feel for that uh, in this because uh, the competition, the competition is not intense enough where you can see what he's going to be like as an edge rusher. Right. But you know, you can tell some things about the corners because you see how they move, you see how they react on the ball, uh, you see how. Uh, you know, they, their hips open up and they move uh, and change direction and, and how fluid they are doing that. And so you get a little bit better feel a lot of times on the corners. And they obviously made a significant investment uh, at that position in the secondary uh, out of necessity uh, in this draft. And so it'll be really interesting to me to, to see what the, uh, the corners taken in the second and third round and Xavier Woods. Uh, who was taken in the sixth round look like, and also Marquez White, who was taken in the uh, sixth round. And I know a lot of people will be initially dismissive of a of a corner taken in the sixth round, but they took a pretty good corner in the sixth round last year, and Anthony Brown, uh, who had a very nice rookie season for them. And Marquez White was only taken five spots uh, away from where Anthony Brown was last year. So I, I think they have some pretty good talent last year. Uh, bringing in this year that to sort through and, and see how it all falls out. Now, let me ask you about that because we know that the Cowboys had to do that. They had to go get some help in the secondary in the draft, and, and mainly because they let all those guys walk in free agency. Do you think in a in a perfect world, I don't know if it's a perfect world, but if it's let's say a near perfect world, would the Cowboys have let those guys walk? Was this was this something they had planned all along? Look, we're not going to be able to keep these guys, uh, so let's just let them go, and then we'll just go heavy in the, in the, in the draft. I do believe that this was part of their plan. That went into why invest money at this position, at this age, for a secondary that has shown it doesn't come up with a lot of turnovers. You know what? Let's keep Barry Church if we can get him at this price, but we're not going to go beyond it. We'll keep Mo Claiborne if he can come in at this price, but we're not going to go beyond it. And what you saw was all of those guys came in at a price that was beyond what Dallas wanted to pay. I personally don't believe they wanted all four to leave. I think that they would have, uh, you know, Church was a team captain. Uh, you know, Brandon Carr, I-, I thought, had one of his better years. And while he didn't live up to the big contract he got in free agency, 
he was a very reliable guy, um, and, and he was always there. I, I think they would have preferred to have kept those two guys and then maybe not gone as heavy in the secondary in this draft. But that being said, they felt that the, the best depth in this draft was the secondary. And you look at it historically, too. Some of the top corners in this league were taken in later rounds. Richard Sherman was a fifth-round pick. Right. Josh Norman was a fifth-round pick. Um, you know, I went back and looked at the uh, the last three Super Bowl uh, Super Bowls, which which encompasses six, obviously six teams in those rosters. And there are actually more court starting corners in the Super Bowl the last three years that were taken in the fifth round or later than were taken in the first or second round. How about so, that? Yeah. yeah. So I think it speaks a little bit to just the – especially at that position, it's not just the talent, it's the temperament, it's the mentality that, you know, you're, you're out there alone, you're going to get beat, and you don't shirk from it, you're able to come back, and, and you're still competitive. I, I think it's, uh, you, you just get exposed to such a great level out there. If you're not tough mentally, uh, you see a lot of these guys go by the wayside, and, and uh, that may explain to some extent why you have so many later picks uh, really excel at that position where you don't see that as often at some of the other spots. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the, 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 my feeling about defensive backs has always been, you know, you got to play with a chip on your shoulder. And when you're picked in the fifth round, you're going to have a chip on your shoulder if you, if you thought you were better than that. I, I, I've always thought, didn't, wasn't that the case, you think, with Orlando Scandrick? Uh, you know, I remember in that draft, uh, Mike Jenkins went in the first round. What, uh, what was Orlando? Was he a second or a third? Orlando was a fifth-round pick, was he a and, and they, he's, a, he's another good example of, yeah, this is, you know, they took two corners that year, Jenkins and Skandrick. Uh, who's the guy still standing? Who's the guy who's done more for this organization? Right. Uh, as, as Skandrick pointed out the other day, uh, they've taken a lot of corners higher than him since he was taken in the fifth round. All of them are gone. Right. You know, Mo Claiborne was a first-round pick. He outlasted him. Uh, you know, Jenkins jumped up and had the one good year, a Pro Bowl year, uh, something that Skandrick has not done. But uh, Skandrick has certainly weathered time, and, and he has that edge to him. And, you know, he's been an outstanding slot corner for a long time in this league and has shown that uh, he can move outside and is effective there as well over these last few years. All of that being said, you know, coming off an injury that, that knocked him out in 2015 and last year struggling with injuries to come back, uh, you certainly understand why they went as heavy in the secondary as they did. And I think he's going to be severely challenged this year in training camp. I really do. So do you think, you know, because we hear that Jordan Lewis is, you know, uh, I think Todd McShay said he thought he was the best, you know, kind of slot corner quarterback in, in the country uh, last year in college football. Do you think um, would they be tempted to play? Uh, not, I wouldn't say right away, but at some point that play Lewis there and then move Scandrick outside. Um, yeah, but I, but I also think uh, a woozy is going to be a major player here. I, I think he's the best equipped to step in and start from day one. Yeah, and you know they they signed Nolan Carroll in free agency. I, I really felt that that now Scandrick is going to have a say in this, and and if he's healthy. I would expect him to beat out Nolan Carroll for one of the starting jobs on the outside. I mean, he was a starter on the outside until, you know, really over in each of the last three years when he's been able to play. Um, so I think they have enough good slot corners now 
where um, that that is the role that, that Skandrick filled so well for them for so long. You know, Anthony Brown did an outstanding job in that role last year. Uh, like you say, Jordan, you know, Lewis, I, I think can step in there from day one as a slot guy. Uh, if if you know it, it plays out that way from what he's shown in college, uh, Awuzie, uh, their second round pick, can also play uh, the slot as well. So I think they're going to be well covered in the slot. To me, the bigger concern is who is going to start for you on the two outside spots, and, and we'll, it's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds. Yeah. This is something that's interested me too, and, and and when you it goes back to what we were just talking about a minute ago with losing all those veteran guys. To me, the problem always with losing veteran guys is that you know I, I get the fact that they're older and and the, you know and they get too expensive, and I, I get all that. But you you miss that leadership, and you miss a guy that these uh, younger guys can look up to, and 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 of course, if the younger guys you hear about a woozy's makeup that he's you know he's really a bright guy, really smart, and and maybe maybe they handle that just fine. But who in this secondary now is going to be the leader? Well, that's it. Out of, really, out of default, uh, the guy with tenure back there is Byron Jones, who is just coming off his first full season at safety and his third season in the NFL overall. Uh, I mean, that shows you what a dramatic makeover uh, you've undergone back there. I mean, Nolan Carroll is the most veteran. Him and Orlando Skandrick are the two most veteran uh, voices back there. But Carroll's coming into a new system, and, and Skandrick, I, I truly believe, is going to be fighting for a job. So, um, and, and this is the other thing, you know, this secondary didn't make a lot of plays, and that was is arguably after lack of a pass rush is the greatest Achilles heel on, on this defense. It's just this inability to make plays. So you're moving on from that, and I think you've increased the potential for big plays. Uh, because of the speed and the youth you have on the back end. But the other thing that you miss is, in that experience, that discipline, uh, that that knowledge and continuity of playing together, you know, it's not real sexy to say the Cowboys didn't give up a lot of big plays last year. You, you want sacks, you want turnovers. They didn't do a lot of that, but they didn't give up a lot of big plays either. I I would anticipate that this secondary is going to give up more big plays, especially early in the year as they get their feet on the ground because they just won't be as acquainted uh, to, to keeping plays in front of them, uh, the coordination aspect of the entire defense. There are going to be more mistakes made. I, I just don't see any way around it. Now, you may figure the upside's greater because you're going to force some more turnovers, and, and that could be, but we'll see how it, we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, that's to me an interesting question because I think when you looked, uh, it wasn't last year, but the year before last, didn't pro football focus at one point rate the Cowboys secondary the most effective in the NFL? Yeah, uh-huh. And, that, and, that, and I think if you ask most fans that question, they'd say, oh, that's insane. You know, these guys, they don't generate any turnovers, you know, team, you know, move up and down the field. But uh, but what's happening here is that these guys are keeping things, you know, keep they are keeping the score down, you know, and that that's in the end, isn't that the most important thing? Yeah, and they franked in the top ten in that, in, in the you know especially last year. Uh, they, they were they were not a sexy defense by any means, by by any of the measurables that you use to say that's an impact defense and and that's a defense that can change the course of the game. They really didn't exhibit any of that at, at a level uh, that would make a difference. But but they didn't beat themselves either, and, and they made teams 
by and large, keep the ball for a long amount of time in order to score. And a lot of those scores resulted in field goals rather than uh, touchdowns. And, and Dallas's offense being as effective and as dominant as it was, that's a blueprint that works. And I think it will still work for them. But I'm just, you know, I just believe uh, how often last year, again, you always focus on what you don't have. And I think Cowboys fans focus on the fact that no one in that secondary ever got any turnovers. Right. Uh, it was so rare. Uh, I mean, a guy like Jeff Heath is jumping up and is going to lead your secondary in turnovers, and he doesn't play that often. Um, so and that was, I know that was a big source of frustration. But the other side of that was, how many times did you see the secondary beat for 50, 60 yard touchdowns? How many, how many times did you see big chunks of yardage? Uh, the defense gets stung for that. You, you didn't see it that often. And, and they ranked, they were one of the better teams in the league, uh, when it came to limiting big plays. And that's still a big part of their personality. And they're going to have to do that because they just, their pass rush is still not going to be at a level that's going to be able able to take over the game. So the secondary is going to have to be a little more cautious by nature because they're going to have more time back there, uh, and which gives the offense more time to make plays. So, but but I think they'll have a little more latitude this year because of the quickness, because of the youth. I think you'll see them. I think you'll see more turnovers this year. It's just going to be interesting to me to see how it's offset with how many more big plays they give up. Yeah, what's the trade-off? All right, so I'm going to go into the guy who I think is the wild card in all of this for this defense because I think he has the most potential when he's healthy uh, to change things, more potential than anybody on the field on defense except for maybe Sean Lee and maybe even more than that. The question is, of course, his health, and that's Jalen Smith. So we've heard uh, that, uh, you know, the raves from the Joneses and from Jason Garrett about how much progress he's made from the knee problem, the the nerve problem that came from his knee injury, the severe knee injury that dropped him from a a top five pick to the second round. Uh, And and we hear all of that. uh, And then uh, all of a sudden they they said, all right, well, we're going to pull back a little bit here and just let him walk through a couple of things. I want to ask you – is, was that a sign that uh, that maybe they were going a little too fast here, or are they just trying to be cautious, or what? I think that's Jerry getting ahead of himself and, and not really realizing that, oh, look, well, Jalen Smith is going to take part in what the veterans do on the field on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So why would we push him and have him go Friday and Saturday also when the rookies are here? Mm-hmm. So he's still going to... Now, my understanding is uh, Jalen Smith still going to do everything that he's done uh, here recently on the field with the veterans for three days. They just didn't think it was in his best interest to go ahead and extend that and uh, to a rookie mini camp. You know, to a rookie mini camp this week, he'll be at the rookie mini camp. He'll go through the the film sessions with the guys and and, and be around, but he just won't do those additional drills that will come that will come in training camp. As we've seen what they've done in training camp through the years with guys who are coming off significant injuries, uh, he won't be all out in training camp either. They're going to be very cautious in how they monitor him with the idea of getting him ready for the start of the season, not to have him in shape to where he can go training camp two a day every day. Yeah. All right, now, David, I'm going to call on your expertise, your longtime expertise covering the NFL 
Have you ever uh, covered a guy who had, and this just sounds like an awful thing to call it, it sounds like something from the 1800s, drop foot? No, no. And, uh, you know, I, I've looked around. There have been uh, very few guys uh, in, in the NFL uh, that we know of that have been able to do anything. I, there's a, there was a return man with the Eagles, a J.R. Reed, uh, who came back uh, off of that and was able to, to play uh, a little bit. Um, you know, I, there, was a, there was a running back for New England, uh, Robert Edwards, had the same issue. Uh, he tried to come back and was unable to, and uh, he had to retire. So you don't have a lot of instances of it in the, in the NFL. Uh, the, the question to me is, uh, is he going to be able, is the nerve going to be able to regenerate to the point where he doesn't need a brace. Mm-hmm. Right now he's practicing with the brace, uh, which is on the outside of the knee, but really the biggest part of the, the, the brace is it extends under, under his foot to lift, to lift the foot up, to keep it up. Uh, so when you, if you have to play with that, one, it's going to increase the likelihood of you suffering another injury, a high ankle sprain is a high probability uh, or more likely uh, when you have to play with the bottom of your foot braced um, and propped up like that. And two, you just don't have the same explosion in power. And and I've read different things. People say it reduces uh, your power, your speed by, you know, anywhere from, from 25 to 40 percent, depending on on where you are as an athlete. Um, I, I've been told by people and, 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 and talked to some of the other guys on the Cowboys who watch him work out out there that he is a, that he's an outrageous athlete. I mean, all, all, all the other Cowboys I've talked to, they put him at the top of the scale, near the top of the scale as far as the most athletic Cowboys right now. So that, that would even with this, even him. with this drop foot. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Now, now the question is, can you compensate? But, but even even at that, if you're an elite an elite athlete and you take away twenty five percent right of right. your ability, you can still participate. But would you be an would you still be an elite athlete? Yeah. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I think that's probably a little unrealistic to expect. Um, but so I think it's still. Whether or not he has to play with the brace is going to determine at what level he can play. But I, I've talked to some people who said, look, I, I think it's, to me, it's, it's, it's hard to believe that anyone could play in this league with drop foot. But they said from what they have seen of Jalen Smith and his athletic ability that they at least give him a shot to do it, even if he did have to play with the brace. Yeah, I, I'm just fascinated by this whole thing because everything I and I haven't done as much research on this as you have, but everything I've read about it just is just very dark. You know, it's just like, oh, there's just no way. And of course, you know, the fact that the Cowboys uh, surgeon uh, did the surgery on his knee, uh, obviously you would think the Cowboys had some at least inside information and maybe a reason to feel better about this. We just don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing they know. And, and I, I guess what I want to ask you, too, do you feel, and I, we know how optimistic Jerry is, but, but Jason Garrett and, and Steven are not exactly those types. Um, is there, you know, they've been so positive about this. Is this a sales job to try to get Jalen Smith feeling good about himself? 
Or do you think that all the optimism that they're showing, all the enthusiasm they're showing, is reflective of what the real situation is? I, you can dismiss the fact that when a guy suffers a major injury, like Jalen Smith has done, that robs him of an entire career and puts the rest of his career in doubt, you can't minimize the psychological effect of keeping that guy up and keeping him positive and giving him hope. Um, see, I took last year when Jerry was talking about this guy's doing so good, I could see him playing right at the end of the regular season. Yeah. I always took that more as psychological motivation than any sort of true uh, measure of where he was because there was no way he was going to come back at the end of last year. It just wasn't going to happen. It, it, didn't, it didn't make sense for him, and it didn't make sense for the team. Um, but so, so I do think there's an element in here of, you know what, this guy's worked incredibly hard. Uh, he's been out here every day. He's had a, a great attitude about it. Uh, he's pushing himself beyond the limits, uh, but, but still within a, a medical framework that, that is being cautious. We have, to, we have to give this guy some positive encouragement. We have to say we're buying in, and we see all the hard work that he's done, and we're getting excited about it, too. There is an element of that in this, but the more I talk to people there, it's not just, hey, let's keep this guy motivated. They've seen enough in the drills this offseason where they genuinely believe that this guy is going to step in and, and help make a difference with their defense. And for them to say that at this stage when you haven't even gone through the organized team activities or the, or the mini camp before you get to training camp uh, speaks to me. That, that this guy really is doing some incredible things uh, on the football field and, and what he's being allowed to do at this stage. If, the, if he is healthy, if he is able to play this fall, he's going to make the biggest impact on this defense, isn't he? Sure, yeah. And I think, uh, you know, it's interesting. You don't do – you don't necessarily blitz a lot from his spot. I mean, he'll be the middle guy. Uh, but, it, but it could free up, uh, you know, depending on what he could do, it could free you up to blitz. Uh, Sean Lee a little bit more. It could free you up to blitz your corners more, uh, which you haven't done a lot. And, and we spoke earlier about these corners. The other thing about these corners is they've shown in college they're good blitzers as yeah, well. That's right. So you don't have – if you're not getting the pressure you need up front and you have a lot of cover guys who are interchangeable, why not bring a corner occasionally when you're in your, in your nickel or dime and you like the speed and, and the coverage ability of your other corners? So I think you're going to see Dallas uh, substitute for its lack of a traditional four-man rush uh, in a few more ways this year than maybe you have in the past. And I say that, but, but you've got to be careful with that because we just talked about the inexperience back there. Yeah. But, but, but going through all of that, yeah, I, I think if you have – um, look, we know what great instincts Sean Lee has. We know how much he studies. Uh, we know how he has such a feel. He's outstanding in coverage. Uh, he's outstanding pursuing the ball. If you have someone in the middle who has a lot of those same instincts and can, and can cover the basics of a play like Jalen Smith should be able to do, it would just give Sean Lee more latitude to freelance within the defense. And I think that is something Dallas would love to do because Rod Marinelli, you know, Sean Lee freelancing 
is not like other players freelancing. No, he's not. always going to make a very calculated, uh, shrewd, by and large, you know, the right move, the, the right risk to take. Uh, he will take some risk, but he won't take unwarranted risks. And, and I think they would love to turn him loose in a system where it's like, you know what? You don't have to get 14 tackles. Jalen Smith is going to get 14 tackles. We want you to diagnose the play. Uh, you, you can you can attack it different ways. How are we going to do this? So I think it I think it would free Sean Lee up to be an even more effective player. And I think that's another reason they're so excited. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, let's jump over to the uh, the offensive side now. You know, we heard all along that uh, when Doug Free announced his retirement, well, that, you know, or at least we assume that Chaz Green was going to be first up for that job and, and maybe, you know, one of the guys they brought in as free agents. And Lyle Collins was going to stay at guard. I'd heard all along that they think of him as a guard, not as a, as a tackle, even though he did play left tackle at LSU. And all of a sudden, he's getting first dibs. Uh, so what's up with the, the change of heart on that? Yeah, we didn't assume any of that. They told us that. They yeah, told us right. That Green and Byron Bell uh, were getting the first shot at uh, right tackle and that their preference, their strong preference, was to keep, uh, was to keep uh, him over, Lyle Collins over at left guard, where they also need to replace uh, the guy they lost in free agency last year, who was so effective for them, that went to Denver. So you need to make, you know, you need to cover up for Ron Leary. Right. So, but uh, Chaz Green, which will come as a surprise to to, to no one, uh, is still wrestling with some back issues yes. early in training camp. He hasn't been able to be out there, e- even though all they're doing is working on air. You still have to have someone out at right tackle, and they they have put Lyle Collins out at right tackle and exclusively, and he has spent all of his time there. And a, a lot of people felt, look, they, they were always looking to get the five best players all in that line going forward. Three of them, you know. Right. Uh, two, two spots you're trying to figure out. And the question in my mind was always, okay, we're your five best guys. Lyle Collins is going to be in that group as well. It was just a question whether he was going to be a left guard or right tackle. Right. And then, then it came down to, okay, is your fifth best guy Jonathan Cooper at guard, or is it Chaz Green at right tackle? And I think most outsiders would stand back and say, well, it would be Cooper at left guard and and Lyle Collins at right tackle. But they were wrestling with, they really do like Chaz Green. They think he can be a good right tackle, and, and they feel that Collins is more dominant as a guard. So that's why they wanted to keep it that way. Um, but Look, if Collins gets out at right tackle, as athletic as he is, you know, and he, he's changed his body a little bit, too. He, he's dropped uh, his body fast down to 18%. He's much more slender than at any time he's been uh, with the Cowboys. He, he's dropped 4% body fat from this time last year, uh, added 5% muscle. Uh, so he's reshaped his body, and this is a big year for him because his contract's up at the end of this year. Uh, he would prefer to do it at right tackle. You get a little bit more money at right tackle than you do at guard. Um, but I say that it's not as big as you think because if you're a dominant guard, you can still make good money in this league. So uh, Lyle Collins will be in there. He'll either start be starting at left guard or right tackle, uh, but now it looks like he's going to get to, to play and make his case for right tackle earlier than what we uh, were led to believe he would. 
Yeah, I guess that my like only question in all of this is, you know, I don't have any problem if they want to play him out there, and if they think he can handle that, and if and certainly if Chaz Green uh, is not up to it. Uh, but as you said, all right, we're going to get the five best guys out there. Didn't we think that Jonathan Cooper already was better than Chaz Green? I mean, they play two different positions, but if you're just talking about getting the five best guys, wasn't he really better all along? Yeah, he was better, but I think they, they're they really intrigued by what they've seen of Chaz Green when he's healthy and he's out there. Now, at some point, you're going to have to say, well, look, he's not out there enough to warrant our assessment of him, and so we have to start looking at him differently. And and to some extent, you're doing that now because you went ahead and you you didn't want to move Collins out to right tackle this quickly based on anything they said in this offseason. So, uh, I mean, it really was Chaz Green's job to show he wasn't ready to hold. And the fact that he hasn't even gotten to the first OTA and they're working uh, Lyle Collins out there uh, – doesn't bode well for his you know, ability to get that job. Now, now I will say, if, if he's healthy from this point forward, is able to go through all of training camp, has a good training camp, and looks good, then they will say, well, you know what? We know Collins can play left guard. He's played, he's played there the last two years. Let's just move him back to left guard and, and put him out there. And then say, well, you know what? And now if Chaz Green goes down, we're a little more comfortable swinging Collins out to right tackle than we would have been otherwise because he spent the entire offseason there learning the position. Yeah. But you can, you can outsmart yourself on that, too. You don't want to get too cute with that and move guys around so much or, or, or just assume that, well, just because he played this position for two years in the league, we can just move him back. Uh, he also missed a lot of time in his first two years in the league because of injury and Lyle Collins and and um, I don't think that's the ideal scenario. They they don't want it that way. But I, I think they want to determine pretty early, look, you know what, this is what we want to go with because you're, you are replacing two-fifths of your offensive line, and you want to work on that continuity and have the – people in the spots you're going to use them as much as you can at training camp yeah i, I agree with that you know because i think what what they could be working on here too is thinking that uh look let's put collins out there we'll, we'll make chaz the you know the swing tackle here and uh if he gets it when he gets healthy and then in, in 2018 then we'll look at the possibility of moving you know because i think cooper's only on a one-year deal is that right Yes. Uh huh. So then, then you move Collins back to left guard. You can put. You can, then you can move in Green. Then I know. You know. I'm not saying that Lyle Collins is Larry Allen, but certainly Larry Allen bounced around a lot in that offensive line back in the '90s. He's playing guard. He's playing tackle. Now I realize he's in the conversation for one of the best offensive linemen in NFL history. But still, guys can do that. Oh, sure, they can do it. And and what's interesting here is you're, you're talking about doing it with Collins, and people are no longer even mentioning the possibility of, of taking Zach Martin out there. And, you know, Zach Martin was a tackle in college who played guard because you didn't, you didn't have a spot open at tackle at the time. But if you remember when Zach Martin came in, when they took him several years ago, it was with the belief that he was going to spend one year at guard and then swing out the tackle right. and take Doug Free's job at right tackle. Right. And, and that you're going to be set at your two tackle spots for a long time. Well, he was so dominant at guard, they went, wait a minute, why, why do that? Because he's not just an above-average guard in this league. He's already a dominant guard as a rookie. He's one of the, arguably one of the top guards in the league 
not arguably one of the top guards, arguably the top guard in the league as a rookie, why would we move him out to right tackle now? So you can get to a position and, and, and overperform to an extent where uh, you take your position flex out of the equation. And, and to some extent, Zach Martin's done that because you don't, because you could make an argument that, look, it makes a lot more sense to move Zach Martin out to right tackle, you know, keep Collins at one of the guard spots and, uh, and go from there, uh, given the, the talent level. But you, you don't even hear that discussion because he's just so good at guard. Yeah, I'd, I'd have a little bit of trouble making that move myself. It's like, you know, I, I get the whole deal. I get the original idea, uh, but as you said, the guy's been so dominant. You know, most people would say to you that he's probably the best guard in the league. All right, David, before we let you go, uh, I, I'd be remiss if we did not deal with the biggest story of the Cowboys' off, uh, the offseason, which is – is Tony Romo going to make the U.S. Open? Of course, he did not uh, out at Alito at the qualifier. He was, I believe, three over, and uh, and I believe that uh, to make the cut uh, for the sectionals next, he would have had to have been three under. So he was about, yes. about six shots off. Were you surprised that Tony didn't make it to sectionals? No, not at this stage because he just hadn't. He's just really started playing – to the level that you need to hone your game in order to have a chance competitively to do something like that. Uh, you know, this time next year, uh, I think he's going to be right on the cusp. You know, you go back several years ago before he uh, greatly curtailed his, his golf because of the uh, back issues. He, he was right there. He was, he was within he, a lot of those sectionals. He would go within, uh, he, he would go into the 16th or 17th hole with a chance to get it. Uh, now, would need a birdie in one of the final three holes and wouldn't get it. Uh, but he was close enough to where he went into the final two to three holes with a shot uh, of earning one of those spots. So I think he can get back to that. And uh, I wasn't there yesterday, but from what everyone said, it, it sounds like his game is, is where it was before. He's outstanding, uh, an outstanding ball striker and very, very good in that area and can make some things happen there but is an erratic putter at best and and in a lot of ways maybe the the, the upside on his putting to this point has been average. I think if if Tony Romo was a little bit better putter, uh I think you you would have seen him qualify for a US Open earlier. Uh I think it's his putting that holds him back from what I've seen. Don't you think that the prospects of of making this run and trying to play golf uh, made it a whole lot easier for Tony to retire from football? Oh, I, I think he loves golf. I, I, you know, even if you squeezed another one or two years out of football, uh, that's right at the, the the windows closing on that. Uh, the the sun the sun is setting on that part of your competitive career. Golf is something you can can remain competitive with for a long time uh, compared to football. So I, I think that uh, you will see him pour his athletic uh, competitive nature into golf now. And, and now that he's not taking the pounding that he was in football, I think he's going to be able to justify, well, look, I'm still doing all my core exercises for my back. Uh, I'm not exposing my back in a way uh, with this golf swing that I was playing football. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm willing to do this, and, and I can manage this better than I could playing football. So let's, I'm going to pour myself into this. So I, I think he's always loved golf. Uh, he's always been intrigued. 
by, uh, you know, I, I don't think the seniors tour is a viable thing for him at this point uh, at all. But uh, he's going to pour himself back into this, and, and uh, he's going to strive for more than I think what other people believe he'll be able to reach because that's mo- most athletes that, that have success at, at the pro level, uh, that's part of their makeup. So I think you're, you're going to see that just transferred to golf now. Absolutely. David, it's been great having you on. Did you notice how pleasant it was in this conversation between me and you? Not a lot of shrill news or stuff like that. Yeah, and I always enjoy when Evan joins us. I think those are also good conversations as well. But, yes, the the shrill nature of the person you just mentioned, I, I thought it went much smoother. It was much more enjoyable on my end. I hope it was on yours as well. <laughs> it certainly was. It certainly was. All right, David, thanks for coming, man. I appreciate it. It's always great, all that information he gives us from out there at the Star. David Moore, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. There he goes, David Moore. Uh, We're only going to have two podcasts this week. We have our Cowboys podcast, and now we will get on board with our old pal Evan Grant out in San Diego having a great time while the Rangers go down the tubes. So uh, we're signing off now. See you all next time. Come see us. Thanks for listening to the Cowboys Ballsy with a Z podcast. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. You'll get new episodes every week. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, sports fans, see you.